Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you now to open them to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is in the New Testament. After the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is the book of Acts. And we'll be in chapter 14, diving in in verse 21. picking up on in the middle of a story about Paul. Church planning is beautiful, but it's also brutal. And Paul knew that well as he's getting up after a few rocks have hit him in the face. But in verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. At this time, Children's Church and Crossroads are dismissed. At this time... Jay will come on up, brother. Thank you, James. Oh. Oh, no. Thank you, James. Oh, <clears throat> so many little ones. They're scattering. It's like ants. How y'all? <laughs> oh, family. I am so almost overwhelmed with joy this morning as I was coming here, just this continuous prayer, I felt this, this overwhelming sense of joy and just kept praying for you. Lord, let this be a word that your people hear and your sheep will respond to your voice. I just want you to know I've been praying, with you, praying for you and for you all morning long, all week long. And um, yeah, so if I haven't met you yet, as James said, my name is Pastor Jerry Wilson, everybody calls me Jay Will, and I have the privilege of leading the young church plant that was sit out from this church exactly a year ago, <laughs> this month. I mean, yeah, you can, we can celebrate that. Let's celebrate what the Lord is doing. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, March of 2021, um, I was commissioned from here, and City of Refuge had our first Sunday evening gathering on April 11th of 2021, and after a year of many highs and lows and just many beautiful things taking place, I constantly find myself asking this major question when pressure hits. Why are we doing this? Why am I doing this? Why are we planting a church? I think it's kind of ironic and almost an um, unintended irony that the day I will be preaching a text where Paul is coming back to his church, the church that sent him out after his first year. 
And I think Paul actually answers our question for why do we do this? By the way he came back to his city church. And I pray that we, that I will be able to answer this question and, and the Lord will charge you through that question. Why do we do this? And all of us will live in mission together. Before we dive into our text, would you mind if we pray for the Lord's Spirit to illuminate the text for us and just speak to us today? Lord, I am overwhelmed for, with joy, excitement, also a little fear and a trepidation because I know this can be a hard word. It can be a challenging word. It was a challenging for me, but yet even as I was preparing, I was overwhelmed with joy because it felt like you showed up. And show me your face. And Father, I pray that you show up at this moment, that you would show your face to your people today, that we would look to your glories and say you're so worth it. You're so magnificent. You are so beautiful. I pray that you would illuminate your text, that you would uh, speak through your servant today, that I would hide behind your throne and that you would speak with power from on high and your people would respond. Those who may not be your people yet, they would hear of this beauty and be drawn unto you, Lord. Speak to us today. Speak to us today. Lord, we lift all these things up to knowing that your spirit is the only one that can do this work in this earth. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our text today, Paul is wrapping up his first missionary journey, and, and he is doing kind of a circle back to all the places he's been. Starting off in verse 21, it says, when they had preached the gospel to that city, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystria. And then Iconum, and to Antioch. If we read too fast past these verses, we will breeze past what has taken place. See, Paul and Barnabas have previously went and, went and preached in Lystria in chapter 14, verses 8 through 19. This was a pagan town where there was no synagogue. They healed a man in the crowd that was, that was, that was uh, lame from birth. Um, and the people saw the power that they healed him with. And they started to worship and call him Zeus and Hermanes. And he, they said, no, don't worship us. We are just servants of God. This power is not through us. It is through the Savior that we came to proclaim to you. The people in Lystria got upset. There were people who actually came from Iconum and Antioch, raised up a crowd, and they stoned them and left them for dead. So this is one of the places Paul went back to first, the place where he was stoned and left for dead. And then he went to Iconum, and this was another, another city, a Jewish city that was divided by the preaching of the gospel. Actually, when they came and preached, half the city believed, half the city didn't believe, and then they got upset, kill them! poison the minds of the people. And this is the second place Paul goes back to. And then lastly, he goes to Antioch. Now, this isn't Antioch where they start, started, where they were sent from. This is Antioch of Poseidon. This is a Jewish city. Um, they were preaching in the synagogue, giving an encouraging message. The Jews were like, oh, this is wonderful. Why don't you come back next week? When they came back next week, the whole city showed up, and the, Jew, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders got upset that the whole city was hearing this gospel and said, no, we want to kill them. 
And Paul said, because you have rejected this message, the Jews first, now the Gentiles will receive this gospel. The Gentiles rejoiced, the people got upset, and once again, everybody rose up and they drove them out of a district. Do you see a reoccurring theme here? Paul is going to all the places people don't like him. He's like, like, what is going on? I want to let you know, a sign of a church planner, they're crazy enough to keep going back to the dumpster fire. That is a sign of the church planner, okay? <laughs> but it brings up our first question, why would Paul go back to these places all places? These, these places were continuously like, kill them, that gospel, no. Stone them, leave them for dead. And it's actually ironic that Paul goes back to these places because it starts in verse 20 about how they went to this other city after he kind of just casually picked himself up after being stoned and left for days. Like, all right, let's go next door. He went to Darby in verse 20, which is a, actually a quicker trip back to Antioch of Cyrene which was their sending church. Why would Paul not just pack his bags and say, let's go home? They tripping. I want you to know, I get stoned, I might show up tomorrow and be like, hey, I'm back, Riverside. I can't do this no more. <laughs> and they would be happy to open, y'all would hopefully be happy to welcome me back. James, y'all be happy to help me back, right? But, <laughs> but <laughs> Paul didn't do that. Paul didn't go back to the, he, he didn't go back to the easy things. No, he went back to the cities where they wanted his head. Lystria, stoned him. Iconum wanted to kill him. Antioch ran him out of town. He said, "Let's go back there." This is why, verse twenty-two. He went back to these places because there were disciples there. He went to strengthen, which means build up the souls of the disciples, and then to encourage them in the faith. So he went back to these places because the same ones he was going to strengthen and encourage, they saw what happened to him. They, they got to see the scars. They got to watch it firsthand. Paul, you died. Why are you coming back? Because he's worth it. Paul, they want to kill you. Why are you here? Because he's worth it, and I want to encourage you and strengthen you and tell you everything I've experienced, you've seen it firsthand. You must know it must be truly worth it. See, Paul's scars were seen, experienced firsthand. Now, I stand in front of you. I want to let you know, it's hard to see these scars for, for a church planner here locally because I ain't got nobody stoning me. Like I said, if anybody want me dead, Let's talk. Let's have lunch. Don't kill me. But don't, just don't kill me, God. <clears throat> but there are scars that come with church planning. One of the scars that come with church planning is you go to uh, a local Bible study. We had the privilege to start a Bible study in a neighborhood called North Point Estate, called Columbia's most dangerous neighborhood. It was like, you want to teach the Bible and change our neighbor? Come on in. I was like, yes. When? Thank you, Jesus. I came, bought donuts, bought coffee, gave them the flyers to pass out, brought Bibles. I'm set up like, yes, this is going to happen. Nobody showed up. Nobody. Matter of fact, the office said, oh, you want us to actually tell people that you were going to talk about Jesus? I thought that was your job. I am. I'm talking about Jesus. It's your job to tell them we're going to talk about Jesus. <laughs> so for a whole hour, I'm sitting there in this 
clubhouse. Like, why? Nobody's here? Okay. Well, Jesus, me and you are going to spend some time. But then I pack up my bags and I'm preparing to leave, kind of still encouraged. Okay, I got to spend some time with the Lord. Then I get a phone call, and the phone call is a lady who was trying to come to the Bible study, and then she starts cursing me out because she can't find the Bible study. And she said, what kind of organization are you running? Lady, I don't even know your name. I didn't invite you to the Bible study. It ain't me. And after I finally calmed the conversation down, I got in the car and I asked, why? Why do this? This isn't the first time this happened. That was one of the extreme days it happened, but this wasn't the first time. Another neighborhood we started a community Bible study in, well, they changed management. We got ran out of town. Why keep going? Why? Why? Keep going. Again, as we continue in verse 22, Paul went back to these disciples who saw him, they experienced and saw what Paul had experienced through the stones that was thrown at him, through the plots that was made against him, to the, the threats that was made against him, how he was brand out of town. He went back to them to encourage them and said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul saw the hardships with planting churches as actually a sign that we are on our way to the kingdom. We're, we're actually traveling forward. We're on our way somewhere, family. We are actually doing something, and God will be glorified. Now, some of you might hear this and say, Paul, you out of your mind. I agree. I'll be honest. I agree at times, but then I say I'm going to do it too. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe you haven't asked this question yet. And if you haven't realized, the, the reoccurring question throughout this whole sermon is going to be why. The next question is, why would Paul see tribulation as a, a way to encourage the disciples? Why would this be the way he encouraged the disciples? I think if we were to take a step to get into the mind of Paul and see how he wrote to the church of Philippi and how he encouraged them and Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul is trying to tell them, family, I'm going through this so that you will know it's worth it. You won't have fear. You would actually have full confidence and you will be willing to put everything on the line as I am putting everything on the line and preach the gospel everywhere you go. See, this sounds crazy to us because in our world where we comfort as such a great idol that we want to worship, we want to have the comfortable life, we want to have the comfortable job, we want to have the comfortable 401k, we want to retire, live comfortable, die, and live and, and die and be in a comfortable casket. The comfortable life. <clears throat> Yet we follow a savior who told us to give up comforts. We, 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 we profess to follow a Savior who says, everyone who comes after me must bear a cross. 
Everyone who comes after me must be willing to lose their life for the sake of my name. If they're not willing to lose their life, they're not willing, they will, if they want to preserve their life, they will lose it. If they will lose their life for my name, that's actually where they find it. See, if you call yourself a Christian, I want you to hear this, and this was something that the Lord screamed almost at me this week. The Lord is not calling you to be comfortable. He's actually calling you to give up all of your comforts, not because he hates you, but because he loves you so much that he wants to be your comforter. He he wants to be the one that holds you tight. And for people who might have faced many troubles in life, that is a hard word because it's like, well, Lord, I'm already uncomfortable. And he's saying, just trust me with it. Just look to me with it. Know that I am worth it. I am worthy. His kingdom, his glorious beauty is so worth it. Paul writes later in Romans, he says, that I count the suffering I currently face to pale in comparison of the glory that is to come. It is worth it. And for us to say that we are his, then we must live in a manner to be worthy of it. Listen to what he continues on in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through 30. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So whether I come to you and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. And that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Paul said it's a privilege. Struggling and being uncomfortable for the sake of Christ is actually a privilege. And he said, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. As Paul was telling the church of Philippi and as he was telling the churches in Lystria and Iconum and Antioch, you are to experience what I've experienced because it's a privilege to continue on this way, to live this life, to be uncomfortable for the sake of God because he will happily comfort you as you go. This isn't in my notes, but I love in Acts 20 when Paul stands before the trial in Rome. They said, are you mad, mad? He said, yes, for God, I am mad. And I would love that you would be like me. Maybe not without the, without the chains, but I would love for you to be willing to give everything to follow him. Because he's worth it. It's worth it. See, Paul was trying to encourage the church. And church, I'm trying to encourage you. The discomfort is worth it. Maybe for you, discomfort isn't going to a church plant. Maybe it is for you. But maybe for you, discomfort is just telling your neighbor about Jesus. Telling your coworker about Jesus. When they change policies around you that would deny your, your king, saying, I will not stand by that policy. I will not be called another pronoun besides he or she. I will not stand by a policy that goes against my king. 
because he's worthy. Even if it means no one in this world would stand with me, I will stand by him because he is worthy. And Paul was just imitating the very worthy king that he looked to because we have a king who shows that he was worthy by what he did. Listen to this gospel in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 10. He says, I want y'all to have the same mind amongst yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, literally meaning he was perfectly God, he was co-equal with God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Literally, I'm willing to let it go for a second but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Christ is worth it, y'all. The literal king we follow and serve and say, I'll follow you because I see what you've done for me. He literally gives the example of giving everything up. So that we can receive everything. Paul was willing to go back to those places where they wanted him dead because he said, yeah, but my king and his kingdom is so much greater than their temporary temper tantrums. And he encouraged the disciples in those places where he said, if you continue on the way, if you continue to follow and suit like I am following my king, you're going to experience likewise. Church, we are a church planning church. If we are a church, our family on mission, you understand to follow after our king, we will experience likewise. Maybe we won't have scars that are shown. Maybe we won't, have, we won't live to the point of death. Maybe some of us will. But for his glory, for his sake, it is so worth it. Every time I continue to ask that question, why are we planting this churches? When another person's upset at me about something or another person misheard something I preached and now they're upset because I said something and they're like, you're talking about me. And I'm like, I'm not talking about you. Why am I doing this? Because it's worth it. <laughs> why am I? prayer walking in the community when we walk up on a drug addicted person and this person starts cursing at us and calling us crackheads. Why am I doing this? Because it's worth it. Why are we sitting down and and some days nobody really shows up and we look around and say, alright, it's just us. Why are we doing this again? Because it's worth it. And even despite all of that, what we see with Paul is the same thing that's happening with us disciples of still being made in the craziest situations. <laughs> in these places where Jesus' name was almost, uh, try, they tried to snuff Jesus' name out, they tried to snuff the gospel out, Jesus' name was lifted up even higher. And it's like, man, this must be a great king if you're willing to come back and risk it all for him. <clears throat> I want to tell you, he is. How do I know that? Well, let's look what happened 
when Paul went back to these churches in verse 23, back in Acts chapter 14, it says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord on whom they will believe, they had believed. Now Paul is telling them it's worth giving your whole life to, it's worth losing everything for, and then he committed them over to Jesus and said, all right, we're out. Why would he commit them to the Lord? Why would he hand them over to the Lord after giving them such a heavy burden to carry? It's because he was committing them over to the one who promised he's already overcome all of it. Look at John chapter 16, verse 33 with me. He says, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Paul knew that if I tell you it's worth it, it's worth it, but if I try to push you on in my strength, it'll never happen. But if I give you back over to the Lord, the one who says, he will hold you tight. He will hold you tight. Though my Savior loves me, so he will hold me tight. If I give you back over to him, he said, I've already overcome the world. I've already am holding you tight. He is the vine who keeps us in the tree. He is the one who produces fruit through us. He's the one, Paul said, I commit you to them. He's the one who got out of the grave on, in Matthew 28 when he says, all power and authority is in my hand. And when he gave the charge, he didn't say, now y'all go and do this. And I'll see you later. No, he gave the charge and he said what? I will be with you to the very end. Because he's a committed God to see his glory spread. So when he commits them to the Lord, he's committing them to the one who will actually hold them strong. Who will keep them from walking away. Who will keep their hands from failing. Because he is so much more about his name than ours. What I love about Jesus is he is so much more, he is so much more uh, uh, overwhelmed about his own glory than the future of City of Refuge, than the future of Riverside, than the future of any other church. He is more concerned about his name. So when we commit all of our works to him, he said, it's for my name, I'm worth it. I know I'm worthy. I don't know about you. You ain't that strong, and I'm not that strong. J. Will is not that strong. City, Riverside is not that strong. City of Refuge is not that strong, but we have a king who is so strong. That he has literally won victory over death and tribulation. Do you believe that he's worth it? Do you believe that he's worthy? Do you believe that he will hold you strong? Maybe that's a something you struggle with. I don't know if God's going to be with me. If I go out on the mission field, I feel like I'll be out here by myself. And he's like, nope. Well, it's done in my name for my glory will not return void. Glory will return back to God. Even the things that we consider failures, there's no such thing as a failure in the kingdom of God. Everything done in the kingdom of God for his name, for his name's sake, he will redeem and he will give glory to because it points back to him. So whether after these crazy years, our church plan is around for another 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years, or if he's around for just the next eight months, he's going to glorify himself, and it will not be a failure. 
And I think that is a confidence, that is something this church, we can find confidence. This is something I find confidence in because as I stand before you, I was like, Lord, I don't always see it. I don't know why I'm doing this. He said, because my glory is more important than your name. That wasn't in my notes, y'all, but I just had to remind myself that. (laughs) So then Paul, he leaves these disciples after he's committed them to the one who is worthy, the one who is strong. And he returns to his sending church, just like I stand before you today. Why would Paul return to his sending church? That's our last question. We can see in verse 26 to 28 what happened when he came to them. It says, from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had commended, they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they returned, they remained no little time with the disciples. Paul was coming back, scars and all, saying, let me tell you how good our God is. Let me tell you what he has done, what we've got to experience firsthand. Let me tell you how wonderful our God is. He came back to his sinning church to rejoice with the sinning church, even mourn and grieve some things, but praise God all the more that our God is so good and he's so worthy. And I get to stand with you today and say, despite all the hardships of this past year, disciples are being made. Despite all the craziness and the turmoil that's come about, we're still standing and the Lord is opening doors. I get to tell you a wonderful story. This actually happened last week. Many of you, if you've been to our church, you've probably met a gentleman named Donnie. Uh, Donnie, last Wednesday, not this past week, but the week before, had just lost his brother. He came into our Bible study. He's just gruntled. He's disrupt. We're, we're celebrating. We don't know what's going on, but he lashes out and says, why would y'all celebrate? And then he told us what happened. His brother had just passed away. One of our members came around him, and I, he wept with him. We prayed with him. But this past Sunday, after we left here from Easter, we went to lunch afterwards, and he went to lunch with us. And he sat at the table and he looked around and he said, you know, all the family members I love that I was close to around my age are gone. And I was like, Lord, everybody I love is gone. And he said, the Lord reminded me, this is your family now. This is your family. Family, that is a sign that is worth it. It looks crazy on the outside, but this man has just been connected to a new family. A greater family, a more beautiful family that shows off God's glory in the earth. This is so worth it. So I come to you today and say it's worth it. To encourage you, it's worth risking it all for. So I'd like to give you a sticky note and I always like to leave you something to remember as we prepare to close. The reason behind our why, the reason why we plant churches is so we can give and receive God's glorious grace. This is an opportunity not to just be the ones always giving, but we get the chance to see God's hands at work and we receive it. I get to tell these beautiful stories of broken people being mended back together. 
because God is so worth it. This kingdom is so worth it. I, I, I get to come and encourage you and say, receive this grace with me. But to receive this grace is to give. And you must give your grace. Maybe giving your life and giving grace right now might mean staying here and just volunteering and, and working at Riverside, serving at Riverside. Do it so you can receive his grace. Maybe that does mean coming to a church plan and giving your life for a season or for long term, whatever. Maybe that means none of those things. Maybe it means going across seas. Maybe for moms who's just caring for their parents, it just means staying home and loving your children and discipling them, giving them grace so that you can be a recipient of God's grace through their lives. (laughs) Maybe it means for fathers just to love your wife better, your children better, and to serve them so you can see God's hands in your life. Either way, it's worth it. It is so worth it, y'all. Maybe you're sitting here today and say, I don't think it's worth it. I don't think this king is that great. But today you can also come and receive. You can experience his wonderful grace. And he will pour it out happily over you if you come to him with open hands saying, I am weary, I am tired, I need rest. He says, come to me because I'm worth it. So I've gotten through all my wise my sticky note, but I now leave you with a what. So what? Well, my so what for you is what keeps you from believing it's worth it? What, what keeps you from giving your all to this great king? Because he first gave his all to you. What keeps you from it? Maybe you need to wrestle with that today. Will you pray with me? Father, your glory is so magnificent. It's so worth it. Even if we had a thousand tongues, we would be unable to praise you. We can never measure the gifts that you have given us, and we'll never be able to measure your glory in heaven. But Father, we pray that you, you allow us to be recipients, just to receive and experience a taste of it here on earth. And I pray that you empower us to continue to go and give of ourselves for your kingdom so that you will make your name known strong through us. Father, I pray for all those under the hearing of my voice um, that you would speak to them today, that you would show yourself strong in their lives today. For those who may be far off from you, that you would draw them unto you today and that they will experience your wonderful love here in this earth. So we lift all these things up to you in your son Jesus' name. Amen.